0: The book of Romans has been called the king of the New Testament epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. All right, how many of you want to get back to Romans chapter eight? Turn there with me in your Bibles. If you do not have your Bible, we do have Bibles, and we also project the text, as most of you know, on the screen. So. Let's waste no more time. Let's pray and dive into Romans chapter 8 at verse 18. That's where we're headed. Now, Father God, for these life-changing truths that are before us this morning, a passage that for sure can't help but change our lives and our perspective. If anybody is suffering in this room, we are going to leave with renewed encouragement, thanks to your word. In Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, if you are a sports history type of person, you'll know the name Wilma Rudolph. She was an American sprinter, I have a picture, back in the 50s and the 60s, and she became a world record holder and an Olympic gold medalist. She won three gold medals there at Rome in 1960, and she was dubbed the fastest woman in world history. And as such, she became quite the international star, most famous black woman on the planet, admired as a role model for so many uh, reasons. Well, actually, what was so amazing was the adversity that she had suffered Growing up, she was raised in extreme poverty. She was number 12 of all her siblings. Uh, she was born premature and she would just weighed a couple pounds, so she had a lot of health problems. She had pneumonia, scarlet fever, but moreover, she contracted polio, which left her le- left leg. And her left foot palsied, and she had to wear a cumbersome metal brace until she was 12. Well, through many years of therapy, finally, at age 12, the brace came off, and she learned to walk at 12, and she was so happy to be free from the brace, she started running, (laughs) And then she kept on running, and then people noticed, you know, you're running pretty fast. And she said, well, I have a lot to run from (laughs) and a lot of reason to be running with joy. And so she kept running, kept winning races and all of that. Now, when she received the gold medals and worldwide acclaim, she was often asked about all that pain and Suffering as a child. And she would always say the same thing. All of it is just a drop in the bucket. Uh, To the joy and the honor that she now was living in. She said it made all her past suffering pale in significance. To the honor afforded her at present. And so bingo. Uh, Kind of the idea here in the middle of Romans chapter 8. Uh, The the point the Holy Spirit is making through the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is holding the pen. Of course, the Holy Spirit is dictating. But the point here, the analogy is similar to what Wilma was feeling, but 10,000 times, 10,000 times more spectacular, more wonderful. And here's the point of the passage. The glory and joy to come helps put The sorrows of this life into proper perspective. Verse 18 to 22. Here we go. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Verse 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to this present time. We're going to pause here. There will be two more paragraphs to come, but we're going to walk through it this way. And I I will tell you that the majority of our time spent this morning is going to be at the verses which are now before you because they're so rich with insight and invaluable wisdom here for our proper perspective. So we are going to begin here with really a mindset that God wants all his children to have that will help us in our present troubles. So he's going to begin here with two certainties for all believers. We li- There are two ages. We live in the present age that is always marked with suffering. No getting around it because of the fall. But for believers, we are destined to a life that's coming of unspeakable glory. And there's no stopping that. Those are two realities that we've got one foot in suffering and really one foot ahead of us in faith in this unspeakable glory to come. And he's saying that if you keep your eyes fixed on what's coming, that you have a forward perspective, a mindset that's always looking ahead, fixing your gaze upon Christ looking up where Christ is seated, where life is real, that's the eternal, that's the real, and that's the kind of hope and perspective that will carry you through your present time of suffering, no matter how great, because he's going to make us bring out a scale, and he's going to say, go ahead and load it up with all your present troubles, and then put on the other side What's coming your way? And you're going to find out that whatever life's been throwing at you is a drop in the proverbial bucket next to the glory that's going to rain down in your life. Well, have you ever wondered why some people, some believers who suffer become bitter while others become better. What's the key there? Well, the answer really is right here before us. It's all about attitude and it's all about perspective. It's all about what you're focusing on, as the Apostle Peter learned back on the Sea of Galilee when he was in a bit of a storm. Eyes on the storm, you will sink every time. Eyes ahead, eyes in faith. Eyes locked on the son of God and his purpose for your life. Oh, you will always do what you could never do. You will walk upon the water. You will get through that storm and you will be safe and secure from all alarms. Let's get going. Note takers number one here before you, we have a glorious future. And the knowledge of that future that's coming will help take the sting out of any present adversity and put the wind of the Holy Spirit in yourselves. I mean, here's the caveat. You're actually gonna believe it's gonna happen. Because if you don't believe it's gonna happen, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Doesn't matter that it's gonna happen to you if you don't believe it's gonna happen. You don't think on it, you don't grasp it, you're not apprehending it. It's going to still happen. You're not going to enjoy it in this life. All you're going to see is the smoke and the flames. But He says, can you see past that? <laughs> not to the house that went down, but to the house the Father has pre- preparing for you. Yeah, they'll take the sting out. They'll take the sting away. There's still a little bit of discomfort. Uh, he's not denying we have present trouble. so let's start... There. Oh, you know. Whenever we talk like this, there's that. You know, all oh, you Christians and your pie in the sky. You know. You know what? You know what I say to that now? I look right back at them and I say, you know what? What's What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you guys? You know, you're gonna die and you don't want any pie. What well, I. <laughs> Honestly, is that you're appointed to die and then the judgment, and then you don't want any pie. You know, I have a problem with that myself. I want the pie, you know, I want the pie, and not gonna lie. Whoa! <laughs> All right, so we have a glorious future, and uh, verses 18 through 22. He says, let's compare the sorrows of the fallen world with the joys of what God has prepared for those who love him, all right? And he says, sorry, no can do. Uh, The character and nature, the intensity of the problems of this temporary fleeting life are not worth comparing, verse 18, to the eternal Glorious, incorruptible character, nature, and intensity of what's ahead. You know? I mean, five pounds of garden manure next to five tons of gold bars. You really want to pull out a scale? (laughs) Honestly, I don't think we need the scale. Amen? Verse 18 is saying, to identify with Christ in this life brings losses and crosses, which Paul now calls our present struggles. And the Greek word for that is has a flavor of persecution. They are struggles and conflicts that can be outside of persecution. But this word really is connected to because you've linked your soul to the one who was rejected by the world, you have linked yourself to the rejection that he, was, um, that he had to endure. And so it's that kind of suffering. A suffering that Paul tells the Thessalonians that they were destined to. He says, you guys don't panic when you've got fiery trials. He says, we, we told you they were coming. He says, don't you know we were destined for our present sufferings? It's our destiny. Now that's First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 will never be preached in some circles. Because they're lying to people, telling them what they want to hear. That God only wants happy things for you. And bigger and better things and the best things. But he says, in this world, we have present uh, struggles, suffering, and that's what's going on here. And he says in verse uh, 17, right before, for some context, he says, just as we are inextricably bound to the rejection and suffering linked to Christ, inextricable, not easy to unravel. In fact, you cannot unravel it. So too, as we are permanently fixed to Christ and the suffering that goes with that because they rejected him, they mocked him, they killed him, they didn't receive his teaching. And we're Christians, we do the same exact thing. So we are joined to him, therefore we are destined to receive what he received. The same kind of reception is waiting for us and he calls it our present sufferings. And he says, in the same way now, you are inextricably joined to his glory because you have a cross and there has to be a crown. You have a death, there has to be a resurrection. There's no maybe. That is what you are wed to. You are joined by the bond of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So if you have this present suffering just telling you that you have a future glory, you haven't already, but not yet, it's coming. And so you have to wait for it patiently, as he's going to say. Yeah, we're treated as Christ was treated, you know, with insults. Uh, Barb and I were in Los Angeles. I was teaching at the Bible college. We had to get a rental car, and we're sitting at the rental car place waiting for the shuttle, and there's just a guy sitting next to Barb and sitting next to me, and he's just striking up a conversation with us, right? And he's talking, and I'm really tired I'm just letting him talk. And then he says, oh, I got to tell you what. I just went to a comedy club, and oh, it was hilarious. Oh, and then we hadn't said a word yet. And he said, it was hilarious. He goes, unless you're one of those crazy Christians. (laughs) And I looked at him like, brother, it's way worse than that. (laughs) You done hit the jackpot for crazy. (laughs) You were looking for crazy Christians. You got one. My word. Yeah, we're crazy. We're crazy. We look around at an intelligently designed world and we think there's a creator and we want to love him and do what's right and have wisdom and discretion and to be filled with good deeds. Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) Opposed to somebody who thinks, does the math like this. Nobody plus nothing equals everybody and everything. Yeah, that sounds wise. <laughs> All right, I'm done with him. I am done with him. All right. He says, just as you are linked to crazy, you are linked to glory and renown and honor in their sights. There is coming a reversal of fortunes where the first will be last, and the last, crazy, narrow-minded, hateful, intolerant ones will be first. And it's coming to a neighborhood near you. (laughs) Now, he says, let's pull back and think. Stack all the insults and the problems and, and the conflicts and the suffering that comes in your own heart. We suffer every day without the help of any persecution. I suffer every day telling my bad self no. Every single day, he says, daily, you tell your bad self no. You deny the flesh. You pick up a cross. The cross isn't a chaise lounger (laughs) or whatever it's called. (laughs) It's an instrument of execution. And he says, that's yours every day. We suffer, we suffer. Stack it all up on one side. He said, let's just bring out the scale, stack it up. Why don't you add my life in there? Five times flogged, three times beaten with rods, one time stoned nearly to death, chased like a fugitive from city to city, incarcerated in dungeons over and over and over again, Loss of relationship, shipwrecked a day in the night, floating around in the ocean. No food, no water, no clothes, no friends. My former friends, his former wife. Where is she? Pharisees had to be married. Where'd she go? Despaired for our very lives. Stack it up. Stack it up. And then on the other side, put this glory. This word means weighty, splendor, magnificent brightness, majestic royal honor. It's all caps, wow, to the power of 10 million. Stack that next to your present suffering. And buckle your seatbelts Because I'm going to point out something to you In the text staring at you That is mind-blowing Notice how Paul describes this future glory He says it's a glory revealed Not to us, though we will see him Not around us, though we will live in a bejeweled city And walk on streets of gold That have gates of pearl but our troubles are not worth comparing to the glory revealed in us. This is something that he repeats again in verse 19. He says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Phillips has a great uh, translation of that in verse 19. All of creation is on tiptoe, waiting for the sons and daughters of God to come into their own. The same thoughts occur here. I think I sent it over for the slide. 2 Thessalonians one ten. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. And to be marveled at among all those who believed. I want you to see what he's saying. Glorified in. There's another verse. I think it's in Colossians. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. There is a shared glory, though he will share it with no other deity, he will share it with his children, who he calls co-heirs with Christ. And so you can go back to our verses. He says, you're not gonna be around the glory, though you will be, but the glory of God will be in you, and God will receive glory unto Himself. How, through the revelation of what He's done in our lives, with us standing out in front, He says, "Stack that on the other side. Put that on the scales." Here's what the commentators gasp. Every single commentator I wrote was like, uh, "Can we even catch this sublime truth?" We expect the verse to read, "The creation is waiting eagerly for Christ to be revealed," and we know that's true. Here, the Holy Spirit is revealing an unspeakable honor of the children of God—that Jesus, our Lord, though He rightfully only, uh, though it rightfully is only and always about Him, and though He shares His glory with none other, He does share His glory with His children. And there's no denying this, his children are front and center and play a starring role on that great day. Stunning as it is, God reveals his glory through the lives of those he redeemed. So he says, the day the sons of God are revealed. Why is that? We have to be revealed because we're incognito now. We are the nobodies right now. We are the ignorant. We are the backward. We are the despised. We are the marginalized. And in parts of the world, we are the killed. We are the jailed. We are the martyred. So why do we have to be revealed? Because we're incognito. The world didn't recognize him. Oh, or they wouldn't have slapped him around. This is the God who spoke, and the universe leapt into existence. You think if they realized that, he would have backhanded the Lord of glory who holds everything together by his powerful word. That was him. And he smacked him on the face. He's an incognito. Who knew? And that's going to be the shock of the day when the sons of God are what? Revealed with the glory of God resonating through us. We are the big ticket item on that day that God wants to make it. So he, of course, where do our crowns go? At his feet. We just fall down and worship him when, when that those times come. But the Bible wants you to say, just so you know, oh sufferer, today, this is your God appointed destiny. And what God has destined, no one can thwart, no one can undo. Remember the sign in Sebastopol, of all places, I saw that cracked me up every single morning driving by it. There was a stop sign, and somebody spray painted God. So it read, Stop God, and it cracked me up every single time. It was just like having devotions, you know, driving by just going, good luck with that. You know, really, you're going to have to get up really early. I don't know. You know, because there's no plan, no counsel, no insight that can succeed against the Lord. He's 10 million moves ahead of all of his enemies. Amen. Amen. And so, this this crazy thing the last shall be first, and here they are. And here's what he's saying he's going to say, Ladies and gentlemen, look at your text. All of creation is waiting for the... la. here they are. Here they are. Here he is. But the text is focusing on here they are. Oh, whoa, look. at That bright one there. Abel. Wasn't Abel just slaughtered like an animal and left to die in his own blood alone in some meadow because his evil brother was jealous? Oh, look again. Oh, there's Isaiah. I thought we saw it. saw him in two. Yeah, you did. But here's what happens when you saw a believer in two. Ta-da. 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 These are, you know. Here's James, who you cut his head off. Here's Peter, who you crucified upside down. Here's John. You boiled him in oil. That didn't work. But here he is Again. Remember the beggar Lazarus who just wanted the crumbs off of somebody's table, and they said, "Hey, your name means Lazarus. It means uh, go let God help him." Oh, there! Wow, I'm gonna have to wear some sunglasses because we radiate Jesus' words, Matthew 25, as the brilliance of the sun shining at full strength. We radiate that the glory of God. Put that. Knowledge, And it's not just knowledge. Put that reality on the scale next to whatever's got your big attention right now. And, oh, it's just the most awful thing in the world. And he says, really? I think you can get through this because this is not what's just coming. This is who you are. There's no one doing it. It's already done. He says, you're seated in heavenly places. E.D. past tense. You're there. It's just coming. That one far off divine event toward which all creation moves, the poet wrote. Tick. 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 We are now 10 seconds closer to when you will appear with Christ And the whole world will look up and gasp at the second coming. At the glory of God. At the revelation of the sons and daughters, the co-heirs of Christ. And Paul says, could you just think about this? Could you cling to that in your moment of desperation? Hold on to that and it'll hold on to you the big reveal that's what he wants he wants to mitigate the sting of this world's nightmares and there's plenty of them he just says see them as they're temporary what's the bottom line the attitude i believe i have that second corinthians 4 for our light and momentary troubles paul the apostle speaking and i read you the list 2 Corinthians 11, if you'd like to check out his list. He calls it light and momentary troubles are achieving, working for me. My troubles are working. They're, they're adding something up. Cha-ching, ching Every day you bear the suffering well, biblically, and serve him and come under and keep your heart sweet and your faith strong and your obedience complete. It's achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So here it is. (laughs) Fix your eyes not on what you're seeing and feeling and dealing with here necessarily, of course, but on what is unseen because what's seen is temporary. But let me change this here. But what is unseen is eternal and real. That's what's real. Because if we get to a place where, where the old order of things has passed away, then what we're dealing with is not real because it's not lasting. It needs to be eternal to have any weight at all. I think you know what I'm getting at. Well, we've got to move forward back to those verses it's a big day, the day of the Lord. <laughs> and it's a big day not only for us but all of creation. Look at this creation took a hit. The creation took a hit when Adam and Eve did their thing. They took the plunge and they and let me paraphrase what you're looking at verses 20 to 22. All of creation is on edge of its seed. It's groaning in frustration under sin's curse. Subjected to bondage to decay by its creator. Notice, not because something was wrong with the creation, but God put an out of order sign on the planet after we sinned against him. And death came and death spread everywhere. This is why. But he did so. He hung the out of order sign on the planet in the fall. And he did that. In hope that the frustration of a world that is laboring under bondage of futility and sin and curse would allow the perfect backdrop for people to say, Hey, what's wrong? I need a savior. The world is crazy, it's upside down, it doesn't work. So he subjected it to frustration in hope that we would see and feel that and turn from our emptiness and the frustration in our bodies and in this world, in the ground, the planet, the whole thing is out of order. And he says, that's what's going on. The botanical world, the zoological world, the earth itself is plum tuckered out and longing to be free in a poetic sense. And you know, so he said there in Genesis 3, cursed is the ground because of you of what you did and he said now it's going to be a nightmare that's when the sun came out out of order oh no now you're going to have thorns and thistles bro wasn't it beautiful to walk through the garden of paradise of Eden you didn't see any thorns or thistles or poison sumac I don't see anything like that now he says you're going to get poisonous plants weeds that choke out the life the ground the planet itself earthquakes volcanoes Tsunamis, cyclones, tornadoes, floods, famines, fires. How did God ever let this happen? What? This is one small part of the problem of sin. And the consequences of sin never cares about who just happens to be in the vicinity. It just starts spreading whether you love God or not. This is the world. Our present sufferings is because it was poisoned by an all-corrosive, corrupting force that just creeps in and destroys. You know, mudslides, sinkholes, you name it. Put in a poetic way, the earth is groaning. It's not, this world is not what God intended it to be. Even the animals. You've watched those uh, Planet Earth. Uh, wonderful. I love that. When I click on that, I just, just the, the thumb stops because I'm happy. And that slow motion of the great white shark breaching the water and chomping down on a sea lion. Entree. <laughs> And it's just, you know, my heart goes out for the little thing, you you know, but a shark's got to eat, right? And so that's what happens there. And then the African savanna. These gazelles are grazing on the African savanna. And then you hear, bum, bum, bum. (laughs) And one dumb one goes out by itself. You know, it just needs a break, okay? (laughs) Okay. I just need a little time, a way to think, okay? And so it, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and it wanders off to think, you know, and while it's thinking, bum, 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 somebody else is thinking and it's called a pride of lions. And they come, and it's a slow, brutal, terrible death. I, myself, I gotta change the channel. I don't like to see stuff like that. But you know what? A lion's gotta eat. Yeah. But you know what? The day is coming. Jesus called his appearing at the renewal of all things. And that word means new birth. He said that in Matthew chapter 19. Here's just a little preview of what's coming for the sharks and the sea lions. It's Isaiah 11. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. (laughs) the calf with the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The little kid will be right right there with the lions and the wolves. The cow will feed feed with the bear, not on the bear. Or, no, well, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in this world, the cow does feed on the bear. Uh, uh, Their young will lie down together. They're all going to be friends. And the lion will eat straw. Like the ox. The infant's going to play near the cobra's den because it's going be, to be a friendly snake. And, which is no such thing now. No, there isn't. <laughs> that one, you can email me. Feel free. They, verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. The are animals. Not, let alone, there's no need for war. That the... The swords are going to be beaten to agricultural tools and nobody will train for war. And he says, There'll be, Pastor Ross will be out of a job because nobody has to say, know the Lord, know the Lord, because I'll be sitting there, reigning on a visible throne right there. So there's a, a new day coming. So here's what he says. He says, this groaning is birth pangs. We go back to our verses. Birth pangs, not death pangs. Look at that. Child, Groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So the next time you feel a twinge of sorrow, the next time the earth goes, you're saying, you hear him say, behold, I am coming soon and I am making all things new. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Amen. I need one more. I know. Come on, it's Romans 8. Give it up for Romans 8. All right. Okay, let's move on. That should bring hope, he thinks. The Holy Spirit's like, can, did anybody just get some hope? Okay, so here we go. Hope. Next, Romans. Not only so, but we ourselves. Not just the creation longing. Oh, come on. Can I just be paradise again? We who have the first fruits, I'll explain that, of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we... Wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he's already got? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, but's coming, we wait patiently. For it. So, note takers, not only we have a bright future—understatement of the world. Uh, we also have hope for today, which is another massive understatement. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just the earth that's weary, in creation. It's us. Inner groanings really means this: the consciousness of how short we fall, and more. The desire to do the right thing and the inability many times to do it. Inner groanings in your verse. It means being grieved in a world that's filled with hate, rage, and immorality. I used to be, I still sort of am, a news junkie, right? I no longer watch the news. Why? Because I want some peace in my house. I don't want to hear the latest, what? What? the latest example of how the world has deteriorated into senselessness, into hate, into rage. I'm sorry, it may show my age, but I'm listening to classical music these days. I can handle it for about 12 minutes. I'm getting better and better at it. I think as I age, I add on five minutes a year. Inner groans like Lot who had to live in Sodom. And the New Testament says, oh, just so you know, Lot living in Sodom, he was the word is tortured in his righteous soul. And why? Because of the things he had to hear and see. Yeah, so we're we're groaning in our what? In our present sufferings. What? While you're groaning, you're groaning what? in hope of what's coming. Not a hope like I hope it comes. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope this weather lasts because you don't know. Biblical hope is evidence of a future reality which must come to pass. That's the Bible's definition of hope. Whether or not it comes to pass is never a question with biblical hope. It's out there. It's real. It's just not yet here. So that's why he says, listen, listen, That's the definition. All that we've been talking about is invisible and yet to come. It's on its way. But since it's not here, guess what? We hope for it. That's the definition. And he says, by this hope we're saved because it's already and not yet. So we're hoping for our hope. There's a verb and there's a noun. We're longing for the completion of what he calls the full redemption of our bodies the adoption as sons and daughters. That's what he's talking about. Now, this, this will blow you away, and I love it so much. We've got to speed things up, but we're going to get there. It says, We hope, we're hoping, uh, we who have the first fruits. First fruits, Leviticus 23, it's a Jewish feast, it's a holiday. And it was like Thanksgiving. And here's what they did. They take the beginning of the crop, the first of the crop, bring it in, offer it up to God as kind of saying, thank you for this um, prototype of that which is following behind. This is the first of much to follow. That's the idea. Now, the New Testament uses first fruits as a metaphor for that very thing, as as a deposit of the good things that come. So here's what he's saying. We are hoping, not, not as people who've never known of what's coming, because we've already tasted a slice of the pie. All we're wanting now is the full pie. We want the whole thing because we've got... Dave, you've got a little pie right now on your mouth there, right? And <laughs> what, what I mean by that is Dave has tasted. Dave has been changed. John and Casey and Marianne and Brent, everybody has a past that we've been raised to new life. We've been transformed. We've sensed the love of God. We're not who we used to be. We've had the pie. He says, and that's what exactly it means. It means the first fruits of the Holy Spirit means we've got the deposit that guarantees the complete final purchase of the thing that money has been spent and put down for. That's what first fruits means. So there's no such thing as blind faith. And there's no such thing as hoping without evidence. We have the evidence in our own hearts. Look in the mirror. Look at who you used to be. Don't look at how far you have to go. Look in the rearview mirror. Wow, that's more encouraging to me. Amen? (laughs) Because we do have quite a ways to go. But this is a beautiful thing. He says, we're waiting in hope for our adoptions of sons and the redemption of our bodies that will be face to face. It'll be done. We awaken as likeness, this perishable that's breaking down our bodies. As you age, people, you young people, all the belts and hoses have to be replaced. (laughs) Everything, you know. I told you the doctor's new line to me, and uh, you know, I'm like, "My fun," uh, you know. And he goes, "How old are you?" Uh, you know what he's saying? Get used to it. <laughs> no, there's no fix for that. It's called being 59 and a half. Oh, I changed doctors. <laughs> <laughs> We've already tasted the pie. And we're hoping, right? And so I have no more time. So I'm getting to the last thing because it's awesome. He says, not only do we have a hope that's going to carry us while we're waiting. He says, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray. The spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that words can't express. And he who searches our hearts, God the Father, knows the mind of God the Spirit, because God the Spirit is interceding for us. His called out ones in accordance with God the Father's will. So you have two members of the Godhead helping out in your prayers. Which he calls weak sauce prayers. All right. Yes, of course they're weak. The Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. We want to get up and start our day in prayer. And then the phone gets us our attention. And then we don't. We neglect prayer. If Total hours of prayer per week were published on our foreheads. We would all be wearing headbands. (laughs) And if you were thinking, not me, you got other problems. (laughs) We could all be praying more. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying, the Holy Spirit takes the cry of your heart when you go, ugh, he goes, got it. And he brings a groan. He brings the unspeakable, the things that we are beyond our eloquence. He knows before a word is on our tongue what we need, what we're feeling, what we long for. The dream you could never put into words. He says, got it. God, the Father's in there doing a search. And God, the Holy Spirit, says this is what it's about and launches a heat-seeking missile that hits the target every time with your stammering and your stuttering and you're not thinking. You don't know what you need. James says you pray and you're all so self-absorbed. That's why nothing's happening because you're so me, me, me focused. Well, this is a friend. A counselor, a comforter who lives in our hearts. For the, One of his purposes, he's got a, a many purposes. One of them is to take what you can't say, weak as you are through the fall, and to put it in the language of God and send that thing right bullseye every single time. It makes me not want to pray less. It makes me want to give him more to work with. Amen. Last comment. A mom came up to me. She said, "Pastor, tell me how to pray for my son. Raised him the right way. Got involved in evil things. He can't stand us. He can't stand the truth. He's lost, and I'm watching him go down the road, and I know where that road ends. How can I pray for my son?" And a single tear rolled down her eye, and I said, you have just prayed the most eloquent, powerful prayer possibly you've ever prayed in your entire life. With that one tear, the Holy Spirit takes that and puts it before God in a language that touches and moves the heart of God on our behalf. He says, line all of this up with what's going on today in your temporary fleeting life, which, by the way, all of that stuff is redeeming and having actual positive effect, although uncomfortable. Put that together, your leg brace, and remember the gold streets you'll be reigning and ruling on. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We love you. We are inspired. God, help us with every bit of energy we have, every fiber of our being, to to allow the Spirit of God to change our attitudes, to change our perspectives, God. Oh, Lord, I'm just talking about me. My troubles are so loud and they're so in our face and they're so tangible and seem so very real. God, help us to see past the temporary to the eternal and set our hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated, where we will soon appear in glory.